Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly news roundup from the Salt Lake Tribune and KCPW, heard around the state on Utah Public Radio. I'm Roger McDonough, and today on the program with the election just days away, we're going to take the hour to drill down on how the election is playing out here in Utah from the somewhat surreal world of the race for the White House, where Donald Trump appears to be surging in the Beehive State, to the battle in the 4th District, where polls maybe show a narrowing margin. To the governor's race, the Senate, and beyond, who's ahead in the final stretch and what last-minute tactics are being employed by the candidates to talk about all of this. Joining me here in the studio this morning are Salt Lake Tribune government and politics reporters Matt Canham, Robert Gerke, as well as columnist George Pyle. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning. morning. And on the phone from Washington, D.C. is Salt Lake Tribune Washington correspondent Thomas Burr. Thanks as well for joining us, Tommy. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Listeners, uh, they say religion and politics aren't polite dinner conversation, but it's still early, so call us up with your thoughts on what's happening as the election, its hour come round at last, slouches towards its inevitable finish, or at least that's what we all hope. Call us at 801-355-TALK. That's 801-355-8255, or comment at sltrib.com. Well, here we are with four days and change out uh, from the election. And um, Matt Canham, let's begin the hour with the apparent Trump surge in Utah. I thought we were experiencing a uh, an Evan McMullen moment, but uh, recent polls don't exactly bear that out, I guess. Yes. Yesterday, we saw three different polls come out. These are all independent polls from national organizations, and they all show one trend, that you have Donald Trump coming up. Evan McMullen sliding and Hillary Clinton roughly staying where she was. Okay. Uh, so just to go through the polls really quickly, Monmouth University, which I believe is in New Jersey, uh, had Trump at 37, Hillary Clinton at 31, and Evan McMullen at 24. That was the smallest gap. That was only six points. Wow. Rasmussen had Trump up by 11. Emerson College had Trump up by 12. So the trend, what we had seen is this margin of error race between Evan McMullen and Donald Trump has now widened. Um, and, in, and at least in one poll, Evan McMullen has dropped a third there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, in actually two of these, ah, he's okay. third. You know, this is the hard part. When we did our own polling, we found that Evan McMullen's support was a little bit soft. It was someone who was voting for him because they didn't like Donald Trump. And when asked, they said, yeah, there's a chance they might change their mind. You had this big rush. Uh, Robert Gerke here covered uh, Mike Pence's visit and a rally up at the Capitol. And it looks like this effort by Republicans to uh, get these disaffected Republicans to give Donald Trump a second look has uh, had some benefit. Okay, so, uh, yeah, right. And it seemed at first like there were a lot of people who didn't want to be associated with Trump here in Utah. But Utah is a Republican state. Not at first, actually. At first, it was maybe vague. But Utah's this Republican state. We have um, the GOP nominee trying to shore up support. But Robert Gerke, originally we saw him losing ground. And of course, after the Access Hollywood video mm-hmm. came out, we saw him lose additional ground. Um, why this late surge? Well, I think I think Matt hit on it. I think people, when they sat down with their ballots, they thought about, you know, am I going to vote for a guy that cannot possibly win the presidency? Or am I going to vote, you know, to vote for Donald Trump and try to block Hillary Clinton? And And again, these polls have consistently showed that Despite the fact that Donald Trump has a 70% unfavorable rating in Utah, according to our Dan Jones poll, 
Hillary Clinton's at 75 percent. There's really there's really only one other person who could lose to Donald Trump. And it just so happens she's running as the Democratic candidate right now. And and so, you know, and, and the same on the other side. Both of them are wildly unpopular. And I, I kind of joked that the two things that Evan McMullen has going for him in this election is one, he's not Donald Trump. And two, he's not Hillary Clinton. That's all he that's all he was. And that's why people were supporting him. And, and he's happens to be LDS. So I think I think what I think what you've seen is just sort of a, a solidification. And we see this a lot. At the, at the end of the election, the undecideds kind of come back to their party uh, party roots or come back to their party bearings, moorings, I guess I should say. And then, and then you know, you just you, you have a hard time when you're a voter, I guess, justifying a vote for a guy that even though he could win Utah, and that would be kind of significant and historic, and it would be, as, as McMullen puts it, a vote on principle rather than politics, um, you, you, there's, there's a lot at stake in this election. And I think the other thing that, that Matt also hit on, when Mike Pence came to town, he was the, the message was come home. It's right. time for Republicans to come home. And we get that you're not happy, but it's time for you to come home. But he also hits on a couple issues that are very important to, to, to Republican voters. And one is the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, there's going to be three or four, or Senator Hatch said up to five mm-hmm. uh, Supreme Court justices appointed by the next president. And um, that drastically remakes or revamps the entire face of the, the Supreme Court and the rulings that are going to come out of the Supreme Court. And then they also hit hard on the religious liberty issue, which is one that I think um, resonates particularly with Mormon voters um, in this state. And, and, and so I think, through the, you know, with that, with those with those stakes on the line, um, a lot of the, especially Republican Mormon voters kind of came came home. Came home. Returning to Trump. Well, I want to remind listeners that you can join this conversation. We'd we'd love to hear your comments on the election, how you're going to vote, why you're going to go that way. Call us at 801-355-8255. Maybe you've already cast your ballot. Uh, again, 801-355-TALK. You mentioned um, the the Pence rally, not the Pence, yeah, the arrival of Mike mm-hmm. Pence, a mm-hmm. vice presidential candidate. But then this week also there was uh, a, a, a Trump rally at the state capitol. Which Utah Republican lawmakers were there? Who wasn't there uh, and why? It was, it was – it's an interesting um, split in the, the, that still remains in the Republican Party right now because – you had Senator Hatch and you had Chris Stewart, who just until recently was sort of on the fence about whether or not he was going to support Donald Trump. Um, but you didn't have people like Gary Herbert and Spencer Cox and Mike Lee, and Mia Love. None of none of those people are, are, are on board right now. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the rally itself, I mean, in terms of who was there versus who wasn't, you really had in, in, in the, among the elected officials, it was it was pretty, pretty much split. Sean Reyes sent a statement. He wasn't on hand, but he sent a statement of support. So it's it's about 50-50. And is it 50-50 uh, of those who are going to hold their nose and vote for Trump, but they don't want to be at the rally, and then uh, you know the others who are there at the rally? Well, and that goes to the Jason Chaffetz sort of trying to trying to straddle the fence, I think. He's, he's said that he's going to vote for Trump, but he's not going to endorse or defend or support him. I think the other – was it on Fox yesterday? He said – And CNN. Yeah, he, and did, CNN. he did a media round uh, yesterday. On he he right. hopes he can look his daughter in the eye and, you know – or, or hopes that that, that that he's not going to be embarrassed by it, but he's also played a very prominent role in, in the other news that we've seen this week in the election was right. the, with the leaking of the James Comey letter to the to the investigate uh, House Oversight Committee. Absolutely, and I want to bring in uh, Thomas Burr in Washington on that. But uh, first, I, I guess I'm wondering if this divide, both nationally and locally, uh, in the Republican Party, is that is that kind of waning? And, and Tommy, maybe you can address this first. I'm sure nothing surprises you at this point, but uh, Utah Utah politics. 
surprises me. <laughs> well, is, is that divide going away? I mean, Utah politicians were thought to be at the forefront of a revolt against Trump. Now he's leading here. What are we seeing in terms of national polls uh, in the presidential race? And I guess, uh, you know, are you ready for the ride, Thomas? You know, I'm never ready for this. But uh, um, look, you're seeing this, the tightening uh, in, in a lot of the battleground states right now. Um, and some of that, that interesting coming home thing, we just learned that uh, Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, is going to do a rally with uh, Mike Pence in Wisconsin. Uh, and, you know, Paul, Paul Ryan's been trying to do the same kind of thing as Chaffetz in some ways, like, you know, supporting the nominee without supporting the nominee. Uh, so now that he's going to speak at a rally, he's trying to rally the uh, galvanize, I guess, the Republican uh, base to turn out and vote. But you're really seeing tightening in, in, in Florida, which is now uh, – you know, really just on the cusp between Clinton and Trump, Nevada is really close. Uh, North Carolina is also so close. And these are states that Clinton was leading in, uh, you know, two weeks ago with good, uh, not, not healthy margin, but, you know, good enough uh, uh, lead that the campaign felt pretty comfortable in those states. Now it's really back up in the air. Back up in the air. And uh, and I, I mean, I guess nationally in terms of just uh, how tight this poll, the, the polls are between or what the likelihood of, uh, of an outcome is between Hillary and Trump. I know uh, 538, uh, you know, Nate's, um, yeah, Nate Silver's election podcast or, uh, blog uh, kind of tends to lean towards or show Hillary with a, a likely victory or, or somewhat like, likely victory. What, what are you what are you seeing, Thomas? I'm actually looking at it right now. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so that's glad, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I mean, Florida right now, Nate Silver's saying it's 50.7% chance Clinton wins, 49.3% Trump wins. But yesterday, uh, he was noting that they, they, you know, they run these simulations with all the data and their, uh, you know, methodology and all this kind of stuff. And uh, yesterday, they, they ran it like 10,000 times. And 5,000 times Trump won uh, Florida, and 5,000 times Clinton won Florida. Uh, so really, this is uh, this is all coming down to a ground game uh, on election day, and also early voting. I mean, look at half what what 30 something percent of Utahns have already voted. Yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm thinking now about uh, the efforts between uh, the candidates to get the vote out here and trying to, to make that, those votes happen. Uh, we saw, of course, Mike Pence. We saw this Trump rally. Uh, we also have seen some efforts by Hillary Clinton here in Utah. Uh, most recently, I guess, uh, in, in terms of a, a surrogate who came this week, Samwise Gamgee, uh, <laughs> a hobbit. I mean, just kidding. Actor Sean, Sean Astin. Hobbits for Hillary. Yeah, hobbits for Hillary. Uh, how, how big is her uh, coordinated effort in Utah, Ben, Robert, Gerke? Um, she she's uh, sent out five additional staffers, um, which I think is fairly unusual for a Democratic candidate to be doing this late in the game. Typically, they're deploying those people in the, into the big electoral battleground states. Um, today, uh, Tim Kaine's wife, Ann Holton, is going to be in town trying to rally early voting. Uh, they've you know, and so so I think they've been they've been active. We haven't maybe got the A list, you know, with with Sean Astin and the and the vice presidential nominee's wife are, are not you know we're not getting Clinton, we're not getting Bill, we're not getting you know um, um, Kane. But it's they they are putting a lot of effort into it, and it seems to be paying off because I believe the poll yesterday uh, it may have been the Monmouth one that said that she's winning among early voters uh, by with forty three percent, which is which is pretty Pretty remarkable because, as you noted, 30% of the voters have already voted, and and you like to have those votes in the bank uh, before you know before election day because it makes your election day efforts a lot easier. A certain degree of momentum. Are people in Utah waiting to vote? I mean, we we will see. 
are we going to see campaigning up until Tuesday? Uh, and I guess also, does Hillary Clinton see a, a chance of, of taking Utah now that uh, uh, I guess Evan McMullen is, is is kind of fading a little bit and Donald Trump is surging? Is she seeing an, a window of opportunity here? I mean, I think you look at you got to pick your poll, and there's one poll that shows we're only down six, and for Democrats in Utah, that's a pretty exciting scenario. So they are uh, hoping that this is a chance for them to get a, a victory. And this election is so unusual for Utah because it's our first one with mail-in balloting. And it changes drastically how you campaign. The campaigns get a list of every person who voted every day, which means they know if their supporters have already weighed in so they can direct their resources to individuals who they think are going to vote for them and bug them more and stop spending resources on people who already voted. This is a change in strategy we haven't seen here. And so how that plays out uh, is a little unusual, but it also supports people who have a strong ground game. So as Robert said, Hillary Clinton has five staffers here. Donald Trump is not as organized in the state of Utah. He's relying on the fact this is a conservative state. Evan McMullen, the independent, is the only candidate here running a day-to-day campaign. Today, he's going to be in Logan and Brigham City up north. Uh, Tomorrow, he's going to be all the way down in St. George and rallying up and down the I-15 corridor. So he is trying to get people to vote. Uh, What these polls have shown is that Republicans are holding on to their ballots. We've seen that with county clerks being concerned about this as well, that they're not getting as many ballots as they thought because Republicans are waiting. It makes sense that Republicans would wait. If you're a Democrat, you know who you're going to vote for. If you're a Republican, this might be a little bit harder. And so you might wait till a little bit later in the process. If it's the, the point Matt made about how get out the vote has changed is really it's, it's remarkable because 20 years ago, a get out the vote effort was you'd send bus to, buses to retirement homes and bus these retirees <laughs> to, to the, the polling places. And now you actually contact them. You just hammer them day, 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 text and day messages out. And, and yeah. text messages and phone calls and make sure you knock on their door and, you know, you got to get these ballots in. It, it's it's a lot more surgical. It's a lot more precise, but um, and, and it's a lot more effective. Um, and, and I just want to say one thing about the Emerson poll in particular. That one just baffles me, and I'm I, I, I'm going to like sort of maybe opine a little bit here. I don't believe I don't buy that poll. I don't I don't see how Rasmussen, which typically trends it leans Republican, has this race a lot closer than Emerson does. And so there's there's something a little funny going on there. Um, and so I think this I, I don't think this is a 12 point race right now. Well, time no. time will tell. And Tuesday maybe we'll know on Tuesday. George Pyle, I want to bring you in on this um, during the the primaries. I mean, we've been talking about the the division in the Republican Party. During the primaries, we saw some division in the Democratic Party between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders supporter uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders. And there was a lot of equating at the time of that division uh, to the split in the Republican Party. And I'm wondering if, if it's the same thing. Are we still seeing that split in the Democrats versus what's happening in the Republican Party? Well, Bernie Sanders, of course, has been out on the stump for Hillary Clinton, and he's really been trying to to tell his followers that, uh, you know, don't sit home and sulk because we didn't win the nomination. You need to come out and vote for Hillary. And that is going to be a a big question. I don't know how much it's going to break in Utah, but necessarily, but nationwide, uh, it is going to be a big question as to whether the, the Bernie Sanders supporters will do what their leader is telling them to do, and that's come and vote for Hillary Clinton, or whether they're still going to feel like this is all just proof that the system is rigged and the people who make speeches on Wall Street are the ones who get the nomination. And uh, they're not going to vote for Trump, most of them, uh, although there's, there's still a little bit of an overlap between the Trump voters and the Sanders voters in the feeling that the 
as I say, the system is rigged. Um, the, the normal people don't have a voice. And uh, even people who would much prefer Bernie Sanders might say, well, the only chance I have to knock the table over is, is to vote for Trump. Although I think probably the, the Clinton campaign concern is that these people will just stay home. Mm. I'm sure that that's a concern on uh, both sides of the aisle, of course, that people will just stay home and, uh, and not vote and trying to motivate your base in the run-up to the election. You know, before we go to our first break, we, we've been talking about the Trump surge here in Utah and another potential reason for that surge and uh, here and across the nation has to do with the announcement that the FBI had discovered some emails potentially tied to Clinton's time at the State Department on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Uh, Thomas Burr, this was already a kind of convoluted story to begin with. Uh, what's what's the latest? You know, uh, we really don't know whether these emails are substantive at any point. We don't know if we're going to learn any more before the uh, the election. Uh, so really just kind of toss things back into that, that fluid situation gave Donald Trump a lot of ammunition to talk about on the trail of Hillary and her emails. Uh, the Clinton campaign, which had hoped this was over and done, is now, you know, trying to defend itself, uh, not knowing what's in these these this emails uh, that are being investigated by the FBI. Uh, long story short, there's a lot of concern about what the FBI is doing uh, with Comey's letter uh, coming out 11 days before the election. And since, we've seen multiple different leaks to different news outlets about, you know, what they're what they're doing with this investigation. So uh, the concern is, anytime the FBI speaks about this, they're, they're uh, influencing voters. Right. Uh, back in July, Comey said he wouldn't recommend any charges be filed against Clinton for what he called her careless handling of classified information when she used a private email server as Secretary of State. Uh, is, is what the FBI is looking at now essentially part of that same story, emails from her time as Secretary of State. Uh, Tommy? Yes, it is. And, and, and the case was never technically closed. You know, he said that what they had proved there was no criminal wrongdoing because, you know, that does actually show that they, uh, you know, intentionally leaked classified information or anything like that. Uh, from what we're seeing from these FBI leaks, it sounds like these emails uh, were on Anthony Weiner's laptop are, are, are new. They're not something that was, they're not duplicative, uh, but they haven't said whether in any way that would change what Comey said in July. So we're left in this, this area of limbo of not knowing, knowing there's something out there, but not knowing if it's bad or good. Well, I want to stay with that story for a little bit, but let's bring in a caller. Uh, we've got Adam in Salt Lake City who has uh, a comment about the presidential race uh, between Hillary and uh, and Donald Trump and Evan McMullen here in Utah. Adam, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for taking my call. And what's your call? Um, <laughs> well, I'm mostly a stay-at-home dad. I have a 20-month-old daughter. Uh, I don't really want to be voting for Clinton because, honestly, she's not liberal enough for me. She is pretty moderate, but I think... Um, maybe one of the most important decisions or one of the most impact, most important things for me to think about making my election decision is the fact that if we elect a woman president, I can demonstrate to my daughter that her voice matters. And I really think, um, you know, in terms of what Trump has said about women, the things that just keep coming out about him, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty important thing, I think, to think about um, the fact that over 50 per, 50% of the people in this country are women, and I think their voice matters. And I just want to demonstrate that to my 12-month-old daughter. With your vote. That we can elect a woman president. Adam, can I ask you a quick question? Were you, if you uh, don't mind answering it, were you a, a Bernie Sanders supporter in the uh, in the primaries? Were you somebody who was, I mean, you talk about being more liberal, who wanted to see right. uh, Bernie Sanders as a candidate? You know, I'm sort of skeptical because I, I, I don't know that a truly liberal candidate could get anything done in Washington. Um, 
And in fact, I don't know, even if we elect Trump, I don't know that any of his policies could be enacted. I mean, uh, Obama clearly cannot get anything done, and maybe that's because he's up against um, Republicans who, you know, will just not back anything that he says. But I I just don't – I liked what Bernie Sanders had to say, but I didn't hear that there were things that could actually happen. And I think that's kind of – the, the point that we're at in this country is that we need probably moderate candidates. That's about the only people who could really get anything done. All right. um, and so I liked Bernie Sanders, but I, I couldn't back him because I, I couldn't hear anything Adam, that, that might really happen. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your call. And uh, Adam talking about uh, his vote uh, to, to sort of make a point to his daughters and and uh, an objection of, of Trump there. Um, Hillary Clinton not being liberal enough, but there being obstruction. Matt Canham. I just find it very interesting when we talk to or hear from voters like this, uh, how little a factor Hillary Clinton's gender actually is in this race. If you look back to 2008 when Barack Obama ran, the fact that he was the first person of color as a nominee was a massive, massive deal. And while we have had moments where we reflect on the fact that we could have a first woman president, it is just a very minor undercurrent in this story, in part because she has been such a public figure for so long that we all know who Hillary Clinton is. She's not new to the scene. Uh, and I think that it's one of the most underplayed parts of this election. Well, my, minor maybe to some and, and major probably to others, but I, I don't know if it's... I mean, like in the storyline, that story was what I mean. I don't mean yeah. that it's not important to people. I mean, in the storyline of the election, it does not come up on a regular basis. Right, because the gender gap in this election, the polls have shown, is going to be probably a record. Um, she, you know, she's going to do incredibly well among women, and Trump is doing incredibly well among white men. Uh, and and, the, and it's going to, the, the racial gap is going to be, you know, just massive as well. In the turnout. Well, guys, hold that thought because we're going to have to take our first break of the program. We will stay with the story when we come back, though. Listeners, call us to join the discussion. 801-355-TALK is the number to call. Keep it tuned right here. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on KCPW and Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Global Village Gifts Annual Nativity Night event, Friday, November 11th from 6 to 9 at 69 East, 100 North in Logan, featuring nativities from around the world, all handmade under the principles of fair trade. Information at globalvillagegifts.org. Voters in Cache County are posting ballots through the Postal Service during a mail-in only process this election season. Before posting your ballot, tune in to Utah Public Radio between now and Tuesday to learn more about issues. And then Tuesday night, NPR and UPR will bring you statewide and national results. Election coverage 2016 on Utah Public Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines, the Salt Lake Tribune reporter news roundup heard on KCPW and Utah Public Radio. I'm Roger McDonough, joined this hour by the Salt Lake Tribune's Matt Canham, Thomas Burr, Robert Gerke, and George Pyle. Again, listeners, you can join this conversation commenting at the Behind the Headlines page, currently live at sltrib.com or calling us 
at 801-355-TALK. Uh, before we left, for, for at some point before we left, we were talking about um, the emails that uh, that FBI said that it had learned of uh, related to Hillary Clinton's time at uh, at the State Department. And uh, Tommy Byrd there in Washington, um, at first it didn't uh, say all that much more. I don't know if we've learned more about those emails, but Republicans took this as an opportunity to renew attacks on Hillary Clinton over her email. And uh, Utah Representative Jason Chaffetz, who is chairman of the House Oversight Committee, played a hand in this story. Is that right? Absolutely. So Chaffetz, uh, as we know, is not a media-shy person. Uh, and once he got the letter, he said he talked to legal counsel and tweeted it out uh, pretty quickly within you know, 20, 30 minutes of receiving the letter. Uh, and that has a lot of uh, Democrats upset, saying that you know he shouldn't have uh, have done that. Maybe he had prior knowledge this was coming. Maybe that's why he's now saying he's voting for Donald Trump. Uh, but this is this is not a storyline that's going to go away after on election day. Uh, this is a storyline that's going to continue. There's already now talk uh, from a couple of Republicans about you know impeachment uh, of Clinton. Should she win the White House, uh, they would take this information and do their own investigation, continuing and look at you know removing her from office uh, because of uh, her uh, careless handling of uh, the, the emails with possible uh, uh, classified information. Uh, and, and Chavitz is going to be the uh, kind of the White House's uh, arch nemesis going forward in many ways, because as chairman of the oversight, you have a lot of uh, you know unilateral power to send subpoenas and look at everything from continuing on the Benghazi stuff to the emails to the Clinton Foundation. Uh, there's, no, there's no limit to where he can go. And he said he had material for, uh, quote, years of investigations. That was something that he had uh, had said. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, yeah, he's already planning, you know, the next couple of years uh, should Clinton win. Uh, I, I assume that if you're going to take a job in the Clinton administration, just know that you're going to spend a lot of time in the oversight room testifying. Huh. Um, you know, Chaffetz in a tweet characterized what uh, FBI Director James Comey had had said as, as kind of a reopening of an investigation into Clinton. The Clinton campaign was providing talking points to its surrogates on this. And uh, those talking points kind of slammed Chaffetz, though not by name, uh, for mischaracterizing what the FBI had what had actually said what Comey had actually said is that right well that's exactly the uh, that's exactly the point uh, Chaffetz said and they'd reopened it. it the case was never closed the case was uh, you know still an ongoing situation they just didn't have any new information uh, but in those talking points that um, I got a hold of uh, from the Clinton campaign to its surrogates uh, quote it's outrageous, though not surprising, that a Republican chairman would knowingly mislead the public and media by leaking and mischaracterizing this letter. Uh, they didn't name Chaffetz, but it's pretty clear that's who they're talking about. Well, and at the same time, uh, FBI Director Comey has come under fire for the decision to reveal uh, so soon before the election that it had these additional emails potentially related to Clinton to look at. Uh, kind of a, a, an interesting storyline there as well. The Republican and Democratic uh, law enforcement and Justice Department officials have criticized that, uh, including those from the Bush administration saying that there are policies in place to say you don't do this on purpose because you're clouding uh, an election uh, without any you know, you know, uh, evidence to really show whether it's, uh, it's worth saying anything about this. So, uh, you know, in some ways, some people are saying it's almost electioneering that Comey uh, – 
there's people out there saying that Comey is colluding with House Republicans to to bring down Clinton. Uh, you know, and again, we won't know anything before Election Day, probably. Well, and I think there's there's always this Robert delightful Griffin. irony where you've got uh, the Clinton people who were praising Comey for his principled stand and not dis- in, in, in not uh, you know bringing charges against Clinton, and now the same people are trashing the guy for you know for putting this out there. Um, and and Tommy's right, it won't go away. I think we're going to see the. I think the damage has been done to Clinton that we're going to see from this because we're not going to have answers before the election day. And I think things might stabilize a little bit when the dust settles. But but it's it's hurt her. I think it's pretty clear from the polling that we've seen nationally and in those battleground states that it's it's put a dent in, uh, dent in her chances. A quick reminder to our listeners that we'd love to hear your thoughts on the stories that we're covering today. Call us at 801-355-8255. That's 801-355-TALK. You can also put your comments at sltrib.com. Uh, we do have a caller on the line right now. This is uh, Susan from Smithfield. And uh, Susan, thanks for joining us on Behind the Headlines. Yes. Well, um, with this election, I hope people remember to look at the bigger picture. I think when this election all started out, everybody wanted someone new. They didn't want any previous political person in. And uh, because we have two candidates that many people have objections to, please, uh, voters, remember the bigger picture. Um, I'm married to a Brit, and... Uh, I have friends in Canada, and they are watching to see if we believe in our political system and each other. And uh, so what we may need to look at is that the great candidate, the great American candidate, may be four years out. Like, we had Carter, we had Gerald Ford. Uh, Now I'm giving away my age. But then, remember, four years later... We had Ronald Reagan, who, love him or not, he was the right man for the job. The economy was coming back. And he, he really was, it was terrific. So, Susan, the, you said the rest of the world is, is you know, watching who we elect. You're, you're married to a Brit. Yes. Um, what, can I ask if you've made a decision about who you're going to vote for in this election? Well, um, remember, in Utah, we have more than two choices. Right. We have three choices. But... Um, yeah, with with myself, I probably want you to understand that electing a person who has no political experience, it's like going in for surgery, and they're like, okay, this guy used to butcher cattle, but now he's going to do your appendix. And I'm like, don't you think we ought to elect somebody who's come, who's actually in the political system? And so to close this out, remember, our great candidate may be four years away, and that we should believe in our country, and we should believe that people, human beings, you know, we've been struggling to put together good government systems. Please believe that people, in the long run, if they're allowed to do the right thing, they will. All right. So we can survive the next four years is uh, is the point you're trying to make. Uh, essentially, whatever happens, Susan. Uh, thank you very much for your call. And uh, listeners, we'd, again, love to hear from others of you. 801-355-TALK. That's 801-355-8255. George Pyle, editorial voice here. We've gone down... Um, an interesting path here talking about, you know, inviting listeners to call in and tell us who they're voting for and, and what kind of uh, uh, comments they've got on the election. But uh, a, an interesting final few days before we head into the election. Well, as we've talked about, I mean, it's uh, 
early voting, mail voting in so much of the country. So, you know, the October surprise now becomes the November surprise. Mm-hmm. And you have the situation where, you know, the, the leak about some things that Donald, some horrible things that Donald Trump said a long time ago, that came out, his polling went down. Then the now the restoration of the email scandal. So Trump goes up and Clinton goes down. And it's almost like, um, what scandal will break last? And, you know, uh, so does that matter? Although, because of so much early voting, uh, there, I mean, we, we have a letter to the editor in the paper today or tomorrow from somebody who basically says, I, I, I voted early and I wish I hadn't. I want my ballot back. In some states, not Utah, I think, um, if you voted early, you can get your ballot back. You can contact the county clerk's office and say, oh, never mind, I want to avoid that ballot and I want to vote again. Don't try this at home, folks, because it's in Utah, the way I understand it, you can't do that. Um, so, but, 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 and also, you know, don't believe the Facebook posting or the tweet that says you can, especially, and don't believe that you can vote uh, with an email or a tweet because you can't. I mean, this is one of those things that people put this stuff out and try and hope that people don't vote at all and think they have as a way of putting a monkey wrench in the system. Well, all this last, I mean, waiting for the last scandal to break, I'm assuming that there are, uh, I've read comments uh, at the, the Trib's website where there are people uh, waiting to the last minute to see what, you know, might be dug up before they cast their ballot. Really interesting stuff. Um, we've mentioned Trump gaining ground against independent candidate Evan McMullen here in Utah. And uh, one factor in that is some last minute maneuverings, not by the Trump campaign itself, but by uh, people who are supporting the Trump campaign. And Matt Canham, this week you covered uh, a, uh, a robocall that may or may not have gone out. Actually, I don't know the answer to that. Um, that was in support of Trump uh, from a white nationalist. So our listeners should know that for $2,000, you can send a call to 200,000 homes in the state of Utah and send any message you want. Wow. And white nationalist William Johnson from California did just that. He's done this before. He did it back in March, criticizing Mitt Romney when Mitt Romney uh, went after Donald Trump. And he did so again this time. And his target was Evan McMullen. Uh, William Johnson actually delivers the call. He's the one who talks. He identifies himself as a white nationalist and uh, says that Evan McMullen uh, is a closet homosexual who has two mommies. It's very uh, inflammatory. Donald Trump's campaign denounced it. Republicans who received it, obviously, uh, some of them didn't find that that was very appropriate. And it was it came out on Monday. It was going to run through Wednesday. Wednesday morning, uh, William Johnson apologized for it and pulled the last day's worth of robocalls. So I don't know what portion of that 200,000 did not hear it. Hmm. But I had family members who received that call. Uh, and it went to as many landlines as you can get, and it was random in the state of Utah. So his re- response was that he, uh, he said it was a mean-spirited message and that he humbly retracts it. He said he sent it because uh, that America and the West is gripped by an extreme and fatal malady, the failure to marry and have children. He said that the white birth rate is so astonishingly low that, white, that Western civilization would soon cease to exist. Mm-hmm. This is a, a racist individual who thought that sending this robocall would help Donald Trump here. And uh, 
I mean, the hard part is on something like that, it's hard to gauge the effect. Right. Is it, is it a positive effect? Is it a negative effect? Mc, McMullen, I know, held an event at the, at the University of Utah's Hinckley Institute of Politics and said that uh, the GOP has a problem with uh, with racism to a certain extent. And that, that I don't know if he was addressing this, saying that this is a sign of he that. He was trying to tie this white nationalist to Donald Trump and Donald Trump's campaign, probably a little closer than actually exists. Uh, but at the same point, Evan McMullen's campaign in large part uh, is based off of the fact that he doesn't think that conservatives should support someone who has said the things Donald Trump has said about women, people of color, people with disabilities, that he thinks that uh, that he, you know any political movement should be open to all Americans. And he is a Republican voter and a Republican former uh, congressional aide right. who his biggest problem with Donald Trump is the way that he has talked about people. Well, and you mentioned him as being the only candidate with a, a ground game here in Utah, really. And actually, I want to turn this to, to Tommy there in Washington, D.C. Uh, Tommy, what's the, the view from the nation's capital of McMullen's candidacy? Uh, you know, he's, he's on the ballot in just 11 states. Uh, he's certainly having an impact here in the, you know, the so-called Mormon belt. But how is he being seen uh, outside of this region? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think everyone I run into these days uh, knows I cover uh, Utah. Uh, it's like, what's with that guy? They don't know his name necessarily, or I've jokingly heard some people call him McMuffin. Um, and uh, I think, you know, they don't really know what's going on, but they are fascinated that, you know, he's, you know, so close in the polls, or at least was so close in the polls in Utah, and could, you know, uh, deny Trump six electoral votes uh, in, a, in a race that, you know, could come down to just a few uh, electoral uh, college votes right there. So uh, people don't know much about him. Uh, they're intrigued, but all they really know is that he's you know, only competitive in really one state, and they're trying to figure out why. Hmm. Well, he's, he's running for president of Utah, right? He could probably, he probably <laughs> win that. Um, it, it's fascinating because he has, he's just everywhere. He's all over Utah, and, and these other 10 states are really, he's not doing much there. I think he'd uh, spent some time in Idaho last week, but really focused almost exclusively on Utah because hypothetically, if he does get electoral votes and neither Hillary or uh, Donald Trump get to a 270, then it goes to the House of Representatives to cast their votes for, for who's going to be the next president. And he gets to be in that mix there and he can start angling. And, and you know, that's hypothetically how this might actually play if he out. Gets, if he gets any electoral votes. If he gets votes, any yeah. electoral votes, the top three. But the, the, as Tommy mentioned, everybody is fascinated with this. I, before we went on the air, we were talking about how I did an interview this morning with the Belfast, Ireland, with the BBC in, in Ireland. Matt was saying that he did an interview with Slovakia, Slovakian TV, and right. and I got contacted by an Israeli TV station. This is he's getting you know Utah is on the on the political map largely because of Evan McMullen, the rise of Evan McMullen, the improbable candidacy of Evan McMullen, right? Not McLovin, not McLovin, not the automatic uh, lock that uh, that that had been considered for the GOP for yeah. years and years. Guys, we've got to take another quick break here on behind the headlines, but when we come back, uh, maybe we'll turn to. Uh, some more local races, the governor's race, the race between Mia Love and Doug Owens, uh, and a few more. You're listening to Behind the Headlines here on KCPW and Utah Public Radio. Back in a moment. This Week in This American Life. Trust. What can you say about a feeling that permeates a generation, and that perhaps is not even understood by those who are distrusted. 
Hillary Clinton speaking at her college graduation in 1969. All we can do is keep trying again and again and again. How's it possible she's been in the public eye for so long and so many of us feel like we still do not know her? That's this week. Join us Saturday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. UPR radio listeners make smart investment choices. They invest their time, their passion, their money, and they support Utah Public Radio. Make an investment in your patrons. Become a UPR sponsor. Call 435-797-3141 for more information. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines. I'm Roger McDonough with KCPW Public Radio and joined this hour by the Salt Lake Tribune's Matt Canham, Thomas Burr, Robert Gerke, and George Pyle. Listeners, you can join us with your comments and questions by calling 801-355-TALK. That's 801-355-8255 or commenting at sltrib.com. When we left, we were talking about the candidacy of Evan McMullen, and I believe we have a caller on the line right now, Daniel in San Pete County, who has a comment related to the presidential race and McMullen. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I just wanted to comment about his campaign and, and the implications of it. Okay. Uh, first of all, the, the main thing that comes across is Mr. McMullen is trying to utilize his so-called qualifications as a former CIA operative and also a former Mormon missionary and former having worked for Goldman Sachs. Okay. Let me just say one thing right now. Those two first qualifications, the fact that he was supposedly a CIA operative, and I understand I read the article the Tribune wrote about him, and he worked for Goldman Sachs. Honestly speaking, as somebody who has very similar qualifications, those are two of the worst possible points in his favor for wanting to even consider voting for this man. And there's a number of reasons for that. Goldman Sachs, for example, I'll just give you an example, is one of the most corrupt banking institutions in the world. It is well-known and well-established, even in the establishment media, in the pockets of all congressmen. They, they influence government. So that's a bad qualification. Number two, McMullen keeps associating Trump with kind of negative things and, and saying that there's going to be a police state if he gets in and, and saying all of his bad remarks women and everything. And basically, in trying to put down Trump, and everybody acknowledges this, I've even listened to national programs, is that his effort to dethrone Trump has got to be right out of the book of Hillary Clinton because whatever Daniel, he Daniel, we basically typed off. We are getting your point there, and I understand what you're saying. Also, your connection's a little bad, so I'm going to just uh, bring this down. Uh, you know, people have accused uh, McMullen or, or said that McMullen is sort of a plant on the part of, uh, of the Democrats to draw votes away. I mean, this is a, a somewhat of a... Uh, a theory that's put out there, uh, Matt Canham, and then also comments here from Daniel about um, these not being great qualifications. Uh, you you wrote the story about about Evan McMullen in the in the, in the Salt Lake Tribune, his bi- his sort of biographical background. Right. How does that sound to you? No, so he is a CIA operative, former CIA operative. We talked to people who worked with him in the CIA. There's been other reporting. He was in the CIA. For anyone who has any doubts on that, uh, and there's. You know, it's obviously hard to vet when someone is an undercover spy for the United States exactly what they did in that job. But we know he worked there. We also know he worked for Goldman Sachs, and he knows that that doesn't exactly play particularly well among voters. He points out that he was there for a few years, worked on mergers and acquisitions, and moved on to Congress. He looks at it as a positive in the sense that it gave him an avenue to learn about the economy. But he knows that that's not incredibly popular. The one thing that he struggles with is everywhere he goes, people have to ask him, 
isn't a vote for you something that helps Hillary Clinton? Right. And that's the challenge that he has. Uh, and his argument is, if you look at the polls, either Hillary Clinton's going to win big or it's going to be close. And if it's close, his narrow pathway to the president presidency is realistic. And what he's arguing is that Donald Trump shouldn't be the president. So not a protest vote, but uh, but an actual vote uh, to try and right. keep Donald Trump from the presidency. Uh, the, the previous caller talked about, um, you know, having uh, having the credentials, having the background. And another caller before that said that uh, having somebody in the White House who has no political experience, who has no uh, kind of experience in in uh, government shouldn't be there. That could be talking about either Evan McMullen, I guess, or, or Donald Trump. Or Donald Trump. So this is one of the things that's interesting about a presidential race is how disparate the experience level is of the candidates. Evan McMullen worked for Congress uh, for, I think it was three or four years, maybe five years as a policy aide, and that's the totality of his political experience. Donald Trump uh, runs a real estate business and a branding business. He doesn't, you know, his, his political experience is donating to campaigns. And Hillary Clinton has been in, in politics for right, a yeah. long time, <laughs> a long, long time. Strikes so there is, there's this stunningly different experience levels from the candidates. Well, you know, I want to bring in one more caller actually on this point, and it's somebody who, uh, who, who didn't vote for any of the candidates we've talked about so far. Let's uh, bring in Nate from Logan. Nate, thanks for joining us on Behind the Headlines. Hey, thank you for having me. A quick comment for you before we uh, turn to local politics. What, uh, who did you vote for, and uh, and what's your comment? I voted for Gary Johnson because he supports my values. Okay, and and uh, and and none of the other candidates appeal to you at all. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I'm a combat veteran, so foreign affair, or, you know, foreign policy is near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows. This. The government doesn't always operate with the most wisdom. It's politics. So I always felt strongly that All right. the government shouldn't be meddling in things that they don't know about. Nate, thank you very much for your comment. Uh, how's Johnson faring in Utah, guys? Just out of curiosity. Actually, I, I had an opportunity to interview Gary Johnson this week as, you know, as this thing was winding down. And, um, you know, to his credit, he'll probably finish third in the election. And, uh you know, was doing quite well in Utah before Evan McMullen got in. He was pulling it somewhere between 14 and 16 percent, depending on where you look at. But when McMullen got in, I think a lot of the disaffected Trump people, the people who didn't want Donald Trump and were voting for Johnson as an alternative, saw Evan McMullen as a better alternative. Um, you know, Gary Johnson has said that he feels like he raised some important issues during this election. He thinks he's going to probably get enough votes that the, the libertarian candidate in four years will end up qualifying for federal funds for his campaign. And so so that's a that's a big breakthrough. They got on the ballot in all 50 states, and he thinks they'll be able to qualify easy, more easily next time. Um, but I, I think there's, uh, you know, there 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 has been a, sort of an opening for him to get his message out, and and maybe he, you know, didn't do quite as well as he had hoped. But um, you know, he he was saying that he recognized that once. Once you're when you're outfunded or out, outspent the way he was, which we're talking about a billion dollars to about two hundred thousand right. dollars, and when you don't get on the debate stage because he was he was excluded from the debates, he didn't meet the the polling threshold for that. It makes it really hard to get your message out, and so they, in, in some ways, and his points in that regard are valid. That the system is a little bit stacked against a third party candidate for, uh, emerging like that. Just generally, um, well, we'll see how the libertarians fare, depending upon what happens to the GOP over the next uh, mm-hmm. little while, like given. 
I guess, this this narrative we've seen up until now. Let's turn now, though, Robert Gricky, staying with you uh, to local politics here uh, and begin with the governor's race. Uh, pretty smooth sailing so far for Governor Gary Herbert, according to the polls. Yeah, I mean, it's been, look, it's, it's very, very difficult when you have an incumbent governor who is mostly free of scandal and, and you know, the economy's doing okay. It makes a very small target for somebody, for a challenger to go against him, and especially in a just a heavily Republican state like we have in Utah. Uh, the governor probably got his biggest scare during the convention right. when he was at, when he was challenged from the conservative wing, from the right. Ever since then, I mean, even though Mike Weinholz has put a lot of his own money in, he's put $2.7 million of his own money in, both of them have raised about $3 million, roughly. But it's it, there's just not much sticking uh, to the governor right now in terms of in terms of the criticism and the, the attacks from the Weinholz camp. There is, I just want to bring up the fact, I mean, you, you kind of glossed over the fact that during the uh, the state party convention, he you know he actually didn't win the, his nomination mm-hmm. that way. He had to go the, the alternative route to get the nomination. Yeah, I mean, he, the, the governor, for, when, when, you, when you look at how easily he's, he's making this general election look, you kind of... Can be you can forget that going coming out of the uh, coming out of the state convention, the state Republican convention, he was within a, a few dozen votes of being eliminated, mm-hmm. um, and and then this could have been a very different November than we were than what we're seeing right now. How expensive was the uh, the governor's race? And I mean, how much money did Democratic challenger Mike Weinholz pour into it uh, compared to the the governor? Yeah, like I mentioned, he's put two point seven million of his own money into it, and then raised another three hundred thousand on top of that. Um, and 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 it's it's kind of it's striking because four years ago, um, you know, we saw the Democrats spend roughly, I believe it was about two hundred thousand dollars total on this race. Now we're seeing three million, and the 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 result, the outcome's about the same. Okay, uh, George Pyle, we talked about this in the presidential race a little bit, but uh, you know, the GOP candidate party means a lot here in Utah, maybe more so than in other parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, it's very heavy, it's very heavily Republican, and, and and power always accumulates onto itself. I mean, there are other states that you know, if you're a Republican, there's not much bother. It's a Democratic state here. It's a Republican state. I mean, the 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 House U.S. representatives and the legislature is gerrymandered to the point where Democrats don't have much chance. But you can't gerrymander a governorship. That's the whole state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's just habit. And and uh, as we say, there's not any big scandal attached to the governor. Plus, there are enough things that he's offered that even you know put him a little bit to the center so that he might be a little more attractive to people who are not all that happy with how far right the legislature is. Which is why he was vulnerable in the party convention. Exactly, yeah. uh, Matt Canham, I'm, just because we have so little time left, I want to turn quickly from the governor's race and get a, a little bit of information in on the fourth district race between uh, Mia Love and Doug Owens. This is a rematch. Uh, what's the basic outline here? The whole race, we have Representative Mia Love saying that she did a good job and Congress deserves two more years, where Doug Owen's message has been that she's too partisan and he'd be a more centrist view. Right now, it looks like voters want to stick with Mia Love. Our last poll showed her up by 12 points. Both campaigns acknowledge that she has a lead that's roughly around that area. Uh, Doug Owens is trying to say that he's coming on late. Mm. We haven't seen that in polls yet, so uh, they're holding out hope. But right now, she has a lead. I may have gotten that wrong in the introduction to the show because I, I believed that there had been a, a closer narrowing in the past. Well, there, there's been a narrowing, but uh, it was it's a narrowing from 
18, 19 points okay. to 12, 13 points. So it's come down, but not enough that you would consider this a toss-up on election night. And a great deal of spending, of course, in that campaign, as, as always. Yeah. Mia Love is an amazing fundraiser nationwide, so she brought in well over $3 million in this race. And uh, Doug Owens is about 1.5. Okay. Guys, uh, when we meet again next Friday, assuming you guys are here, uh, the election will be over, we hope, uh, and and we will be done talking we about hope. this. Uh, we're never leaving. We're never no, just, no. Yeah, you guys can stay here for the next week. But the hour has come to a close, and we need to turn to our underplayed stories of the week. And who's ready with an underplayed story? Robert Kirkie? I'll, I'll just throw this one out there. It's it's one that you'll want to watch on Election Day, and that's going to be uh, who ends up controlling the United States Senate. Uh, there are a number of races in, in Nevada and Missouri that are sort of right on the cusp there. Even in Florida, I believe, was was a toss-up. And this could have as much impact on the direction of the country for the coming years as, as the presidential election. Okay. Uh, George Pyle, you've got, you've got one ready. Well, just I mean, we're talking about elections. If you have a mail ballot and you haven't sent it in yet, it has to be postmarked by the day before the election, <laughs> not on election day, the day before, which and if you're in a, a rural community where maybe they don't collect the box, you have to worry about that. And in Salt Lake County, because this is being considered a male election, there will only be like 37 polling places out there on election day, not the hundreds that there usually are. So if you're just thinking that you're going to get up on election day and go down the street, there may not be any place there. Think again. Look this up. <laughs> All right, George Pilots, uh, urging you to mail in your ballots. Uh, Tommy Burr, what's your underplayed story of the week if you've got one? Actually, I'm going to give you my prediction for Tuesday. Ready? Drumroll, please. Uh, I believe that we will see one of the highest rates of girls missing school across this country because mom and dad are going to bring their daughters uh, to the polling places, snap a couple photos, and say, you know, uh, I, I voted for uh, for a woman for president. I like your prediction there, Tommy Burr. Uh, Matt Canham, your underplayed story. I'm going to jump from politics and go to something that's going to happen right after the election. In Salt Lake City, the mayor and the city council are going to name four new homeless shelters on November 21st, and they're not going to let the public have input until they're already picked. Until they've picked those places. That's interesting. Well, uh, that's Matt Cannon with his underplayed story. For mine, I've got nothing. I'll go with the fact that uh, KCPW here is working to finish out its fall fundraising goal, $15,000 to raise in one day, and you can pledge in support of nonprofit public radio at kcpw.org. Cubs winning isn't your underplayed story? I, I know. It should be. It should be, especially with an Indians fan here in <laughs> I don't the think that was underplayed. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Canham, Robert well Gerke, Thomas Burr, George Pyle, all with the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Thank Have a good you. Day. That's it for this edition of Behind the Headlines. Thanks to Jesse Ellis uh, at KCPW, Tom Williams and Connor Rivers at Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune's Emily Means. I'm Roger McDonough. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again next week. It's the last week before the election. Should you spend your time canvassing and phone banking for your candidate? Or should you grab your chance to go see Mount Rushmore before they change all the faces and add the hair? I'm Peter Sagal. We've got so many troubles, we are going to Nashville to sing about them. Join us and special guest Winona Judd for this week's news quiz from NPR. Join us Saturday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.